right. Welcome, satellites and those watching online. Uh, we are diving back into Exodus 19, um, and today the theme is partnering with God, which is, I think, a message all of us need in this season. Um, and so in prepping for this, I was thinking about all the partners that we have in life, right? From when we're little kids. Did anybody play Red Rover growing up? Oh my gosh, I cannot believe that that game is allowed. When I think about that, like we, so we used to play Red Rover and we used to play it right by like a brick wall that I'm like, how, how is this allowed? So for those of you that haven't played, what Red Rover is, is you grab people's hands and then you call somebody, like your little friend Julie, you say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Julie on over and Julie's got to try to bust through the arms. So I was a bigger child. I was a foot taller than the average person in my class. Um, so I had a lot of really cute little friends that were super fun to play, you know, dolls with and stuff. But when it came to Red Rover, those are not the people I chose to partner with. I always went for the boys in the class. I was like, find the biggest guy, you grab his hand, that creates a strong partnership. And when I found the guys, it was like, good luck. No one even tried to go through us because they're like, I'm not gonna make that team. That's a partner you're looking for, right? Strong partners. And then there's some partners in life that we just don't get to choose, like seventh grade lab partners, right? <laughs> I'll never forget, I was in Mrs. Walsh's class and there was a kid in the class, his name was Randy, and he did not like science because science didn't like him. And so he never paid attention once that whole semester and towards the end of the semester, the teacher, Mrs. Walsh, got up and said, okay, for your labs this, this time around, this is a big part of your grade, I'll be assigning partners. So we all waited with bated breath and anticipation. And who do you think she paired me with? Randy. Randy, a little side story about Randy. At one point in the semester, Randy had purchased a pen that also contained a mini basketball hoop. So you could, you could pull out the sides and there was a little rim and there's a little basketball so you could fling into the thing. So most of seventh grade science, Randy was doing this. And one time the teacher said, hey, Randy, you need to put that away. And he proceeded to sing two lines of the song, Closing time, every new beginning comes from some other beginnings. And he sang that, this is my lab partner. Now, some of you, some of us, when we get partnered, we're on the good side or the bad side, right? We've all been on both sides where it's like, Randy saw me and he's like, oh, we're probably gonna get an A because she's gonna do it all. I saw Randy and I thought, crap, I'm going to have to do it all, right? <laughs> sometimes in life, we, go, we get partners that we don't choose, right? And then sometimes in life, we get the opportunity to find the perfect partner. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about dating and marriage, right? There are entire, entire systems of online dating things that are geared to help you find the perfect partner. You give them your height and two things you like, and f you know, five feet, I like burritos on the beach, and they find you your soulmate. <laughs> This is what we're talking about. People are looking for the perfect one and they're going online and all these companies have invested hundreds of thousands of dollars of making algorithms that are supposed to pair people to help you find a life partner, right? Life is about partnership. Who you partner with matters and who you partner with, if it's not somebody good, you're gonna end up doing all the work, right? And so we're gonna see today in the passage that God is the perfect partner. He 
offers his partnership, his holy, divine, awesome partnership, he offers it to us, and it's our job to choose yes or no. So we're going we're gonna to read today on Exodus 19, and we're going to watch how Moses and God partner, and we're going to see what happens. It's, it's powerful. So if you're reading along with me, we're jumping right in, Exodus 19, we're going to verse 1. Um, the, the text will be up on the screen for you too if you didn't bring a Bible. So starting in chapter 1, Exodus 19, it says, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Now, this is the mountain, if you remember in our story, where Moses struck the rock and streams of living water came out. So that's where they're camped, in this holy little sacred place. Verse 3, then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So God brought their answer back to Moses brought their answer back to God. Verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what he had, the people had said. So our first point today, what makes God a perfect partner? He speaks to us. He speaks to us. In other religions, it's all about chasing a God that you don't know if, it's, if he's out there or not. It's trying to get a God to respond to you. And here we have a God that speaks to us. Um, so a little bit of guilty confession time. I'm not proud of this, but I've recently started watching The Bachelor. <laughs> now, I just want to make it really clear that I did not watch The Bachelor before coming to CA. Uh, this is a true story. I don't lie up here. So I come to CA and a group of women are like, hey, we watched The Bachelor. Do you want to join? And I thought, no, that's too much drama. It's too worldly. I'm holy. Um, <laughs> no, I said, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch it. I've never seen it. I'll watch it with you. So for those of you who don't know what The Bachelor is, they put 30 really cute little girls in a house and they put one very attractive man. And the job is they all want to be his partner. So their job is to try to convince this guy to fall in love with them, right? So I was watching the show this week, and there is always a lot of drama. Like, we're talking tears, like, out the, you know, you're, you're crying every episode because it's real. And anyways, <laughs> it is real. So um, this last episode, there was tons of tears, and these girls, they go on the camera, and they explain the tears, right? And the thing that you hear over and over again is, <laughs> I didn't get any time with him, and she took my time, and she time, right? They start crying because they didn't get time with Peter. Now, now why is this a big deal? You're like, you know, you're kind of like, grow up, get over it. It's a big deal because if they don't get time with Peter, they can't speak with him. And if they can't speak with him, he can't fall in love with them, right? This is why it matters that our Lord <laughs> speaks to us. <laughs> we we have a God who speaks to us. 
He makes time for us. He wants to know us. And he wants to fall in love with you because he already has, and he wants you to fall in love with him. It's a big deal that God speaks to us. And he speaks with compassion. He speaks with truth. He wants to know you. Like every girl in that house wants to know Peter. God has a ferocious energy to know you. And so we see in this text, he comes, he speaks to them. And what does he say? Let's look at what he says. The first thing he says is, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. He's pursuing them. He says, you've seen everything I've done. You've seen the plagues. You've seen that I provided water, that I provided manna. I, I love you. I've done this for you. You've seen, like, don't take my word on it. Take my actions. You've seen everything I've done. And my goal is I've brought you to myself. He's winning them over. He's saying, I am for you. Look at what I've done. I will continue to do it. And then he lays out a conditional clause. And a conditional clause has an if and a then. So, these are important in the Bible. He says, verse five, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Because you see in Israel at the time, they had a polyistic society where they believed in lots of different gods, right? And what the Lord is saying is he's saying, I am the only one true God and I'm inviting you to follow me. But what you need to do is if you follow me, you need to obey me fully. You can't obey these other gods part-time. I'm looking for you to enter in to a covenant with me. I'm asking you to trust me that I am the only God. You've seen what I've done. I'm the only one. Now, if you obey me fully, and it will take full obedience, then you will be my treasured possession in all the earth, right? God's pointing out the kingdom of the world and his kingdom. And he's saying, I want you to join me. So if you obey me fully, then you'll be my treasured possession. And I've noticed that we do this a lot to God, right? We put a lot of conditional clauses on God. God, if you love me, then make this happen. God, if you actually care, I need you to show me and heal my friend. God, if you really are listening, give me a sign. God, are you, if you're actually worth following, then you need to prove it, right? We put these conditions on God, and what God is saying is he's inviting them to his conditions. He's saying, I'm the boss, I'm the king, but I've taken care of you, and I'm going to continue to take care of you. In my own life, I've done this a lot where I have these deep desires of my heart, and they're not bad, but I can make them the ultimate sometimes. And so what I'll do is I'll say, Lord, will you bless this? Lord, will you bless me in this? Will, will you give me this? Would you help me with this? Would you, hey, I need, you, I need some stuff over here. Could you rain down on this? Will you bless my kingdom? And what the Lord is saying in this passage is he's saying, hey, I have a full kingdom. It's already established. And guess what? I've blessed it. I've blessed my kingdom and I want you to be part of it. Will you join my kingdom? Will you give up your kingdom and join mine because it's already blessed and it will go well with you and you will be a treasured possession and I want you to be a treasured possession. So I want you to leave your kingdom behind and I want you to join mine. Will you join me in the mission? That's what he's inviting the Israelites to. Will you make me your one and only God and will you follow me? And if you do, I will make you my treasured possession. That's an invitation that extends to all of us today. Are we willing to give up our kingdom? God, bless me in this. Bless her. Bless this. And saying, no, God, you do. You have your way. I'm yours. I want to enter your kingdom. That's already blessed. And I will fully obey you because I know whatever you do, it's for my good and for the good of the world. 
And there's one other thing that they say in this passage. Um, God speaks an identity over them. He says, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He's giving them a new identity. You see, they're not holy and they're not priests. But he's saying, when you surrender your plans and your kingdom and all these other gods and you follow me, I'm going to make you into something new. I'm going to make you into something you could never be on your own. I'm going to make you holy. That's an invitation that we can't refuse today because none of us can be holy in and of ourselves. He's saying, if you follow me, I'll make you holy and I will make you a kingdom of priests. I'm going to allow you to work with me and do my good deeds. That is an invitation that extends to us today, right? And it's the same thing. And in verse, um, in first Peter 2.19, Peter declares these same words over the Gentiles, over you and I, over everybody who has chosen to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Peter speaks these words. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And this is why, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Have you received mercy? Have you received Jesus? Because when you receive Jesus, he makes you holy, he makes you his chosen possession, and he makes you favored among the people. Have you chosen Jesus? That's the first point today. God speaks to us. Let's continue on. We're going to jump to verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animals shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. So the second point that we see is God is the perfect partner because he warns us to protect us. He warns us to protect us. I was thinking a lot about warning labels and they're all over the place. And for some reason, I get a little like, I don't know about you, it's a little like American pride to me. Sometimes I'm like, I don't need a warning. Like I can figure it out on my own. So I was sitting in the hot tub the other day, I was reading the warning and it says, warning, pregnant women are like, should not go in here for the condition of their health. And I thought, you know, of all the women that deserve a tub, should not a woman who's creating life, who's got back problems, whose you know, body is in pain, shouldn't she be the one that gets to deserve a little soak? Now, the warning company is not against pregnant women, and they're not against life. What they're for is they're pro-life, and they're saying, hey, we love pregnant women. We love that you're creating life. We want you to be so careful because that life inside you is so precious, so it might not be good for you to be in the hot tub. So we're going to put a warning up so that no harm comes to you. Warnings are for our good. They help us. They protect us. There's this new kind of phenomenon going on, the selfie phenomenon, and it happens that the Grand Canyon has had to instate new warning signs because so many people have died taking selfies. 
Isn't that so sad? They said on average, 12 people a year will fall into the Grand Canyon because they are trying to get their Instagram followers the shot that they want. So the whole, the whole park system has to had to put all these signs all over the place saying, don't take a selfie here, be careful, watch the ledge behind you. They've had to put up new fences. It's to protect the people, right? And I just think uh, this is such a funny illustration to me is that the reason we go to the Grand Canyon is to see the glory of the Lord. And what happens is when we turn that glory on us and make it about us, we miss the picture, right? It is about the Lord's glory. Those warnings are there for us. And some of you have heard about the McDonald's lawsuit that happened a long time ago in 1992. Cute little old lady, 79 years old, purchased a cup of coffee from McDonald's. And God bless the woman. She wanted cream in her coffee. I would maybe too. So she got the cup of coffee. She put it between her legs and ripped a creamer. And when she was ripping it, something happened. It shifted and the coffee spilled all over her. Third degree burns. It ended up being a $3 million lawsuit against McDonald's, which resulted in them putting a warning on every cup of coffee they serve. Warning, caution, extremely hot. Warnings are there for our good. And sometimes we think when God puts rules on us or laws on us or warnings, we think that he's like a killjoy. Like, don't talk. I'll drink hot coffee if I want. I'll go in the hot tub if I want. I'll take a selfie if I want, right? There's a little bit of pride in us. And in this passage, we're going to see God is not doing this to take away your joy. He's not doing this to be mean. He's not doing this. I don't want them to have any fun. He's doing this to protect us. And so this is what he says. He says, go and Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and make them holy. He says, wash your clothes and abstain from sexual relationships. He's saying, prepare yourself for my holiness. I need you to get your outside clean and I need you to get your inside clean because the glory of the Lord is coming down. And this is a holy God and we are unholy people. So Moses' job is to prepare the people. He says, consecrate yourself. Now this whole issue of washing the clothes... <clears throat> we look at it and we're like, no biggie, go, like, go, do the load, go do a load of wash, whatever. You have to remember that this is two to three million people in the desert with very limited access to water. So asking the entire Israelite community to wash their clothes was basically a three-day procession. All the tribes, all families going to one little water source to make sure to scrub their clothes. So this was like a group project. Talk about partnership. It was like, you go first. You got, you got more camels than I do. You need that more than I do, you know? They all had to go and wash their clothes because they had to prepare themselves for the Lord's coming because they weren't worthy to receive him. And God said, I need you to take some time to get ready for me. Are we taking time in our lives to get ready for God? Do we prepare? Do we clean Do we abstain for stuff? Saying, I really want to see you. I want to hear from you. I'm going to move out other distractions. I'm going to purify myself so that when you come, I can see you in all your glory. And then God puts some limits on them. Verse 12 says, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. So this is the thing back in the day, cleanliness being clean was a huge value of their community. So God in his perfection is perfectly clean and he cannot touch the uncleansly. People, if we, if they touch him, his power is all consuming and it will destroy them. And he says they need to be stoned or shot with an arrow. If somebody touched the glory of the Lord, they would be consumed and they couldn't be touched by somebody else because they would be unclean. So they had to be shot or stoned so that nobody touched 
what they had done. This is God showing himself to be an all-consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. Sometimes we like to think of God as like a teddy bear, right? Like, oh, he's so sweet. He loves me so much. That is not. It's part of our God. He does love you. He loves you unconditionally. But your God is a fierce fire. He's an all-consuming fire. His power, his majesty, his holiness is something that we are not worthy to touch. So he, he puts limits on the people. He says, be careful. If they see my glory, they will have to be killed. If they touch the mountain where I am, they will need to die. God puts limits on us to protect us. And what he does is he instills a fear in them, right? Because this is a reality that you and I know is that whatever we fear controls us. Whatever we fear controls us. If you're afraid of disappointing others, you will be forever a people pleaser. And if you're afraid of not having enough money, you'll either become a workaholic, you'll become a hoarder, you'll become selfish. Um, if you're afraid of not being enough, you'll spend most of your life trying to prove yourself and prove your worth. And if you're afraid of being too much, you'll spend most of your life trying to calm it down, trying to tame it. What we fear has the ability to control us and to define what we do. And so God is making a statement that he is to be feared. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. God's showing them, I am worthy of your awe and your reverence and your fear. Because this is the thing, if what fears, what we fear, if that controls us, God's saying, I want you to fear me because what will come out of you if you fear me is good. And what will come out of you if you fear evil is evil. Don't fear anything else but me because you're going to see my glory and my power and it's all consuming. It's worthy to be in awe of and to respect the boundaries I put. He's teaching them how to be his people. He's teaching them limits. And so I just wonder, what are the limits in your life today that you're pushing? Has God given you any warnings? Have you had a sense that maybe you need to pull back on something or dive into something or hold your tongue on something? What are the warnings, these deep nudges, these little inklings that we get? Where is the Lord warning you today? Where are you potentially in danger of falling off the edge? Even if you're doing something that's fun, that looks like it could be, could be a good thing. Where are you almost caught in the pit? God warns us because he loves us, which makes him a great partner. Um, the last section we're going to dive into is verse 16. Uh, it says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Verse 20, the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people that, so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And so our third point today 
is that God is a good partner because he comes down to us. He comes down to us. Now, I want you to think about a political leader, um, somebody that you respect, admire. And I just want you to think, have they ever come to you? Has Trump ever showed up at your door and said, hey, like, what, can I, what can I do for you? Has any leader ever showed up and said, hey, I know you're busy. I know you got a lot. I know the kids in soccer and stuff. I'm going to come to you because this is a priority to me. God comes down to his people. He says, I see you. I love you. And I want you to know me. So he comes down and this is like, this is where the red carpet began, right? This is no normal entrance. God shows up in all his glory. The earth is, the mountain is trembling. There is smoke, there is fire. The Lord is putting on display who he is for this people. And guess what? The people are trembling. They're beholding the glory of a God that is so powerful the earth can't contain him. And they're holding it and they're scared and they're nervous. God is making a point that he is all-powerful, all-consuming, and worthy to be feared and trusted. He's showing his people his glory because he's positioning them. He's about to give them the Ten Commandments. So he's showing them his power so that they know that he's the real deal and that they want to follow his law. And I just think of how, how different God's entrance and revealing himself to the people is, how different that mountain scene is than a little baby born in a manger to immigrant parents with no place to sleep. There was a period in my life uh, when I got back from India um, that I had gone through a really, really hard breakup. And I had a friend, um, her name was Mary. She still is my friend. We had coffee this last weekend. And I was just reminded of how good the Lord was to me in that season by giving me my friend Mary, because it was a dark season. It was the first heartbreak I'd ever been through. And I thought a lot about that verse, guard your heart, because it's the wellspring of life. And boy, are our hearts sensitive. And it was a dark season of me just walking through the valley. And my friend Mary, she was so perfectly placed in my life at that season because Mary didn't try to rush my process. She didn't say, hey, you're better than him. Get over him. You're fine. You're going to like, let's go find somebody else for you. What she did is, is she came down with me and she sat in the grief and she walked for a long multiple month process of helping me come back into myself. Mary got in the pit with me. And if you have friends that do that for you, hold them close because it is rare to find people that don't want to fix you, don't want you to move on, don't try to speed up your process, but that actually get down into the muck of life with you. This is what God did when he sent his one and only son. In this scene, we see him powerful and mighty, but thousands of years later, we see him. God said, I, for I sent my one and only son into the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have life. And he sends his son as a tender little baby. He sends his son down to walk with us, to know what it feels like to be human. Earth is not an easy place to live. And God knows that. And he says, I want you to know that I'm with you and I'm for you. So I'm going to send my own son down to experience what you experience, to live in the pain that you've lived in, to feel the sting of rejection, to feel the despair of not having your plans met. And God sends his one and only son into the earth. I love this verse in John 1, verse 9 in the message version. It says, Jesus came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, whoever believed he was who he claimed to be and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God selves. 
These are the God-begotten. Not blood-begotten, not flesh-begotten, not sex-begotten, but God-begotten. Jesus came down to us. He lived among us, and he took all that wrath of the mountain, all the smoke. Jesus touched the mountain. He took the penalty of death so that he could pass on God's holiness to us. What a gift that is, that we have a God who comes down to us. And we live in such a different time than the Israelites who couldn't approach the mountain because they might be stoned or shot or killed. There's this verse in in Hebrews that I love, which I think is the good news for us today that I just want to celebrate with us. Hebrews 12, verse 18 says, You have not come to a mountain that can't be touched and that's burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. So this is what the Israelites lived through. God came down, but he came in all of his power and it was fearful and it was terrifying and they saw the world shake. But then because of Jesus, we live in the time of grace, the dispensation of grace. Jesus has come, he's died, and he's given us permission to join his kingdom. And this is what the reality looks like that the Hebrew writer continues on. He says, you have not come to that mountain, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborns whose names are written in heaven. You have come to to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Friends, we get the permission to go to Mount Zion. We get the permission to enter with the living God to have a partnership with him, a partnership where he understands you. He's compassionate towards you. He's for you. When you think about the dream partner, it's God. God is for you and he's with you. And the problem is in life, sometimes we look for partners in the wrong places, right? We turn to our friends. We turn to our family. We turn to colleagues. We turn to role models. These aren't bad things, but they're not the ultimate partner. And today, I want you to know that you have the God of the universe who's made a way for you to be holy as he is holy. You don't have to approach him with fear. You don't have to hold anything back because the blood of the lamb of Jesus has covered you so that you can enter his holiness and not die. You can enter his holiness and receive his love and receive his forgiveness because of Jesus you and I get to live differently. We get to be king, we get to be priests and we get to be called holy because of Jesus. So I wonder this morning, I wonder what God is inviting you to partner with him in. Is there an area of your life? Is there an area in your marriage? Is there an area in your family, in your job, in a relationship where you need the partnership of the living God? And he's asking you, he says, grab my hand. Grab my, I'm reliable, I'm strong, I'm going to carry you, I'm going to do this with you. I, I request, I ask, I beg of you to partner with God in your life. Because what you will find is you will go further, you will do better, you will love more, you will forgive, you will do right by God when you fear him and you partner with him. We have a good God who's inviting you to partner. 
He's inviting you to join his kingdom. And my prayer today is that you and I will say yes. Don't bless my kingdom. I want to join your kingdom that's blessed. And I want to partner with you to do the work you've called me to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a holy God and that you want partnership with us, God. You want to be a partner with us to do the work that you've created us to do, Lord. So for each of us today, Father, I pray that you would lay on our heart, God, what that invitation looks like to each of us, Lord. You call us all to different things, Father, but you ultimately call all of us to partner with you through Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that you'd reveal in the spirit what you have for us to do, Father, and how you want to partner with us to do it. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who made a way for us, Lord, that we wouldn't be killed by the mountain, but instead we would be blessed by the mountain, Father. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your glory. And we thank you for a group of women that we get to do life with in partnership with. God, thank you for your, your love and thank you for Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.